But today's message, I called it the four pillars of our foundation. And I'm going to talk about our foundation somewhat. And with those four pillars, I'm going to focus on one. But, you know, if our foundation isn't solid, if we aren't secure in our salvation and the foundation of Jesus Christ and his unconditional love, see, that's the message of Jesus Christ. God loves us no matter where we're at, no matter whether we're doing right or doing wrong. Our, that does not change how God feels about us. But once we get that, once we receive that and understand that, we have a sense of peace and safety on the inside that the world can't explain. And with that, now we're free to grow into God who's, who God has called us to be. Okay, God has gifted each one of us, and we're wrapped up in this flesh set, uh, body. And this flesh body's got problems. And in between is our mind, and we've got to make decisions. So being aware of God's unconditional love helps us navigate that wilderness we call our bodies and our flesh. So remember, when your footing is solid, now you can grow into what God created you for. God has created you for greatness. And by achieving that greatness that God has for you, you give God glory on this earth. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. But let me set a timer here because you know what? I've already walked away from these notes two or three times, and I'm going to get off track, so I don't want to keep you here all day. So I'm going to set myself a little timer because I know the guys in the booth try to flag me down. I don't even see them sometimes. All right, hang on a minute here. What time we got here? So I'm going to set it for 35 minutes. We should be good, okay? So we'll hear this little alarm go off, so don't be alarmed, all right? All right, so... Today, I want to speak to the Christ in you from the Christ in me, okay? I want to speak to the real you, the perfect identity that God's placed in us by receiving his son, Jesus Christ. But first, I want to talk about a person in the Bible named Joseph to kind of lay this premise out for this. And I started to read the scriptures, but there's quite a few, so I'm just going to briefly tell you the story. I think most of us know it. If we don't, you can start in, in Genesis chapter 39 and read through 39 and 40, and you'll learn more about that mess, about his life. But Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob's 12 sons. He was the son of his wife that he really loved, which was Rachel. So he was kind of like the firstborn of that clan, but he's still brothers with the rest of them. Now, Jacob loved jo uh, uh, Joseph. And he showed him favor, and maybe he showed him a little bit too much favor because it made his brothers jealous. But because Joseph had this favor on his life, and God had spoke to him in some dreams, he was kind of prideful and arrogant a little bit. And his brothers didn't like that either. So the first chance they got, they were going to take care of Joseph. So when Joseph went to the field to check on his brothers and brothers in the field, they saw him coming. He had his coat of many colors on. Here he was, the proud son of, of Jacob, and he's the favorite son, and they were resentful. So the first chance they got, they grabbed him, and they threw him in a pit, a dry well, where it was dark and where it was dry. Now, while he's in that well, put yourself in his shoes. Have you ever been in a dark, dry place in your life where you couldn't hear from God and you thought you were... Uh, a forsaken, you wasn't sure what the future was going to hold? Think about it. I'm sure there's periods in our life that we just couldn't hear from the Lord. We didn't think our Father knew where we were at. And here he was in this well. 
Well, they decided not to kill him, thank goodness, but they decided to sell him to some slavers. Now, he, here he was, he's abandoned and he's in a dark place. Now he's being thrown away and rejected by his own family. And the story continues to get worse. Then he goes from being a slave in Potiphar's house. And actually, while he was in Potiphar's house, he began to have some favor again. Potiphar saw this gifting that God placed in him, this gift of administration. And he was a good-looking, strapping young buck. And, and he was just, you know, he didn't look like a slave. And he didn't act like a slave. But yet he was still a slave. So that favor that was placed on his life come back to seem, seemingly to bite him again. Because Potiphar favored him, Potiphar's wife approached him in an inappropriate manner. And she wanted to have relations with Joseph. Well, here he had to make a choice. Do I do this or do I please the, my owner, my master at that point? So he chose character. And he rejected her advances. Well, that choice, which we can all agree was the best choice, right? Yeah. Well, that choice got him in trouble with her and with Potiphar again. So Potiphar puts him in prison. So here he is. He's in a pit. Then he's into uh, slavery. And now he's into prison. But remember, all this time, he still remembers that dream that God gave him. Remember that, that dream he got cocky with? He said, you're going to bow to me. My brothers and sisters are going to bow to me. And my mother and father are going to bow to me. Well, that dream and that cocky attitude got him in that pit. That wasn't the true purpose for, Jake, for Joseph's life. So now he's in prison. What's he going to do here? He could have gave up, right? Have you ever been in a place where you didn't really want to be, but you had to make a choice about how you was going to approach that? Are we going to have a good attitude? Are we still going to let our character shine? Are we still going to do our best? Are we going to put our best foot forward even though maybe these people don't really appreciate it? So the people that he, God said that would all bow down to him were now treating him uh, rough and in this prison. But eventually they began to see that gifting that was in Joseph again. And they thought, well, you know, we can't let this talent go to waste. So they put him in charge of the prison. As a matter of fact, he had a total run of it. And while he was in there, he could have escaped. He could have ran back and ran back and tried to get back to home. But no, he stayed. Why would he stay, I wonder? Because he still had that vision, that dream in his, in his heart. And I believe God has spoke to him and given, equipped him to deal with everything he'd been dealing with over the years. He still didn't give up on the dream. He didn't give up on God. And he didn't give up on himself. So he let his character do his talking for him. So eventually, we know the story. He had a couple people from the Pharaoh's house were thrown in prison, and he interpreted their dreams. He said, but don't forget me. He said, now, when you go back, tell, tell uh, Pharaoh I interpreted dreams and helped you with this. So, and we know that they forgot him. For a couple years went by, and then one day, one day, the one he helped with his dream told Pharaoh there's a certain man in this prison who's of God, he can interpret dreams, he can help you. So he gets cleaned up, dressed up, and into the, into the palace. So he impressed the Pharaoh, God impressed the Pharaoh through Joseph by interpreting the dream correctly. 
And all of a sudden, he goes from wearing slave clothes to wearing a Pharaoh's, a, a master's robe and a, and a signet ring. He had total control over the land. Now, if Joseph hadn't have went through the pit, if he hadn't went to the slave house, if he hadn't went to prison, how do you think he would have led those people when he got to the palace? Probably with that same pride and arrogance he had when he was 17. Do you think he could have helped the people? Do you think he would have really been concerned about the people or worrying about the position he was in? So God has prepared a place for each one of us to help other people. And he has a process. Sometimes we think the devil's trying to kill us. No, the devil has no power over your life unless you get to him. Because you don't belong to the devil, you belong to the king. So he may let the devil do a few things to navigate you into places to get you, but God has a purpose and a plan for where you want to go. And he wants you in a position where you're the master. He wants you to have a master mastery over your environment, over your relationships, and everything in your life. He has a purpose and a plan for us to change the world around us. But we can't do it unless we embrace the process that God's going to bring us through. If we're all the time trying to get God to deliver us and to save us out of the pit, out of the prison, or, or, or out of a situation where we don't feel like we fit in, if we're always asking him to do that for us, we'll never reach the destiny and the, and the place that he has for us in our life. What I need to ask him is, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to get out of me? What are you trying to press out of my flesh so that I will be supple in your hands and wise so that I will be able to build the kingdom of God and do your will and bring glory to you here on the earth? I'm not about getting off the earth. I'm glad that heaven's a promise. I'm worried about doing God's will on the earth. Okay? That's what we all need to be concerned about. Your will on the earth. Jesus told us, he said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think God has people in heaven that are all rattled and still worried about what the devil's up to? Well, we need to quit worrying about it too and get focused on the mission that God's called us to be. And that's to be all we are created to be in Christ Jesus. God planted his seed. When you accepted Jesus Christ, he planted a seed in you and me and everyone who's accepted Jesus Christ. That's the seed. Who's going to cultivate the seed? God will cultivate the seed, but he's going to use our hands and our minds to do it with. So I want to talk to you today. See, I've already left the notes, so we're in dangerous ground here. I want to talk to you about our foundation. Any other foundation... I'm going to read a few scriptures here. Last time I didn't read any scriptures. I speak from the scriptures sometimes and don't quote them. But I want to, I want to share, share this with you because the word of God is powerful. And I want to talk about Christ as our foundation. So, Rob, if you pull up 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Pretty stiff request, isn't it? Are we in the faith? It doesn't mean you're not saved but are you operating in the faith? Do, not, do, you, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you're qualified? That's not a heaven or hell question. 
That's about do we aware that Jesus Christ is in us? If I'm aware that he's in me, then I have power to overcome anything in this world. Romans 8 and 10 says, But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I used to really struggle with that. I'm like, what about me? What was my personality? What? He's transforming me. He's transforming each one of us into that perfect son. That's why we study the scriptures to know more about Jesus Christ. Because guess what? Christ is in me and I'm in Christ. So I need to know my true identity. When I know my true identity and know that God loves me and he's never going to throw me away when I mess up, I understand unconditional love. I can't mess up bad enough that God's going to throw me away. Now I can mess up and walk away from God and his wisdom, his understanding, but I'm the loser for that. So I want to know more about who I am in Christ. Do you? All right. So <clears throat> Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 4.19 says, My children, Paul speaking to the Galatian church, he's speaking to us, says, My children with whom I travail again in birth until Christ is formed in you. Colossians 1.27 says, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. See, that's the mystery. That's the mystery Paul was preaching to us. Christ in you. See, he was talking to some folks that were doing some crazy things. And with the, the, the Corinthian church, you know, they did some things that we now would say, well, they're sinners. They're lost. But he was talking to some Christians that we're still doing what sinners and lost people do. He's trying to get them. You don't do it on your own power. Christ in you will make the transformation. So it's not about our behavior. It's about knowledge and understanding of who is in us. That knowledge and information will transform us. The behavior will just automatically change because, you know what? This is not what Christ does. This is not what I do because I'm in Christ and he's in me. So I automatically begin to Love, because God is love. So if my behavior doesn't line up with love, then that's my flesh operating. If I get confused and I get anxious and I get worried, that's not God, that's my flesh. So I need to bring those thoughts into subjection of who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me. So, Colossians 1.27, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when we received Christ, it was our destiny, our destiny to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it is all about. So I have to ask myself, am I in the faith? Am I walking in faith? Do I have the faith in the right things? That's what Paul was saying was, check yourself that you're in the faith. He preached to the Galatians about trying to do it with law and behaviors. He said, who's bewitched you? 
It's not about you. It's about Christ in you. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That God won't throw me away when I mess up? Doesn't that give me some safety and security? Because now, it's, I didn't do anything to receive salvation. What can I do to lose it? I didn't earn it in the first place. So if I have that confidence in Christ, now I'm free to grow. I'm free to grow into whoever God has called me to be. And that's the exploration, the joy, the journey of walking in Christ. Because everybody in this room has certain talents and gifts and passions and desires. You have a set of core values. That's what defines, defines you and your personality. That's who you are as a soul. Well, God wants to inject his spirit into your soul to transform that to make it better. He's not trying to change you as a person. He's trying to make you better who you already are. I used to think, well, if I accept Christ and I've got to be this, I've got to go to church, I've got to pay for the house, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And I had it all backwards. I had it completely backwards. Because then I thought, well, if I mess up, I'm, I'm, if I get this wrong, but I come to a realization several years back that, hey, I'm not the smartest dude in the world. I'm not the dumbest guy in the world. So who am I going to rely on? My intellect and my ability? Because you know what? I'll end up messing it up. So I have to go back to Christ as my foundation for my life. And on this foundation of unconditional love, there are four pillars. And we'll talk to you about those today. And one pillar in, in a little more in depth than the rest of them because it's a starting point. Once you think about your foundation, just think about standing on a solid rock foundation. This is where your life is. Now that life, that foundation is your life now. In that area, in that area, for that to expand and grow for us to be all we can be, I gotta understand what these pillars are. This first pillar, and I call this area, A-R-E-A. -E -A. The first pillar is your awareness. It's not about your knowledge, your ability, your ability to do things right, your awareness. The second pillar is R. It's your relationships. Your level of awareness is going to dictate what kind of relationships I should have and shouldn't have. My level of awareness is the only way that I can improve these. If I don't know I'm doing it wrong, if I don't know that, that these relationships aren't the best for me, I'm probably going to pick the wrong one. So my awareness needs to be, I know God and he knows me. First and foremost, that's what it's all built on. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of our foundation. So our awareness. The second one is relationships. The third one is your environment. We all live somewhere, don't we? We live in these bodies and we live in a community. We live in a home. Our environment. Well, some, of us, some may be in prison. That's an environment. Some may be living on a tropical island. That's an environment. Now I have to ask myself, is my environment affecting me? And if it is, I'm always going to fall into being a victim. Or am I affecting my environment? And I can only do that with the Spirit of God living on the inside of me to make a change. And my relationships, and all back to my awareness. Now the fourth corner is our attitude. Our attitude is the librarian of our past. We can go back into our past and we can check our attitude through all that. 
Was, was, what, what part did I play in what just happened in my life? If I'm not aware that my attitude made a difference in that, I'll continue to do the same thing. So I've got to raise my awareness, don't I? So you see how it all works together? Awareness, relationships, my environment, and my attitude. The attitude is the gatekeeper for your future. It is the librarian of your past, and it is the prophet of your future. So do you think we need to expand our foundation in Christ? You think he's limited? He wants us limited? Being over here real small, he's the king, and we're down here just little peons? No, he wants you to know that you are a son and daughter of God. Jesus Christ, the firstborn, the only begotten son of God, died that we might become sons. He was the firstborn of many. Get that many. He, we and you and I are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Not this big heir and these little tiny heirs. He said we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have positional authority with Christ. Now, don't you think we need to start thinking like Christ? Yes. Philippians says, have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who, not, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's a profound statement. You have divinity. You are divinity. You don't have just have divinity in you. You are divinity. You need to become aware of that. You need to become all that you were created to be. If God wanted to just give it to us all when we got to heaven, we'd just been born in heaven. He left us here for a purpose. We have to become aware of what that purpose is. Romans 8.29 tells us that God's plan for us, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what is the foundation of your life? Jesus said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. If the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall, it was founded on the rock. Is your foundation built on solid ground, the rock? Absolute truth, unconditional love. If it's not built on that, then the winds are going to blow and life's going to come at you and the devil's coming and the world out there and we're not going to know how to deal with it. God didn't leave us here to be victims. He left us here to be victors and overcomers. But we have to fully know who we are in Christ. So who are you in Christ? We like to put labels and titles. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm a baker and whatever. We like to put those titles in there. That's not who you are. Who you are is God's child with all the fullness of God dwelling in you. It says that it pleased the Father that all the fullness of God dwell in Jesus Christ bodily. You and I are part of his body. We have the fullness of God operating in our life. Now, I mean, not operating, but available to us in our life. We have to become more aware of God's will for my life. Am I becoming all that God created me to be? I like to challenge young people when I see them. Where are you going to be in five years from now? And they'll look at you like, well, uh, 
uh, and they'll start thinking about things to be, things to do. And, I, and, and before I thought, well, that was a good exercise to do with them, you know, to get them to decide what they want to be. We can't decide who we're going to be in five years or what we're going to be in five years. We can decide who we're going to be in five years. Do I want to be a person of character? Do I want to have integrity? And when the wind comes, I won't sway, I won't bend. Do I want to have my roots deep down in and know my values that I can't be swayed when someone tempts me to compromise who I am? You see, Joseph had every opportunity to say, well, Lord, you know, I didn't expect this, and I got to survive. I think I'll make a couple compromises here. Now, I've had a lot of discussions about young people and the way we operate in the world. And, you know, there, there's, I've met some tremendous young people that have character and integrity who stand out over here. And I've met some that are just kind of swimming. But you know what? The sad thing is I know people who are 30, 40, 50, and 60 who are still swimming, trying to figure out who they are and get swayed, get tempted to compromise who they are because they really don't know who they are. That's the problem we have. We don't know who we are. Now, God has given us his spirit. It's up to, up, up to us to build our character. Allow him to build our character so that his spirit will operate through us. Because you know what? Once the character is refined, and character is only refined in fire. It's only refined in tests. When things are going good, we don't have to worry about it. Everything's going good. I can make good decisions. I can pay my bills on time. I can treat right as long as everything's fine but all of a sudden when something shakes us and we get shaken we got to make a choice i'm going to stand by my character do i even know what that means do i even know what god's character is god is yes and amen yes or no you decide you decide what's right or wrong for you but you can only do that the right way by finding out what God says is right and wrong for you. Not by what I tell you, not by what the preacher tells you, but because of your personal relationship in him. He's always available for us to speak. We have to become aware of the Christ in us. He wants to grow in us. He wants to transform us and, 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 and make us all that we can be. That's the mystery. He doesn't want to change who you are as a, as, a, as a child of God, he wants to change how we respond to the world so that God's glory is manifested on the earth. Habakkuk, I think it's 2.14, says that the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth. What do you think that means? Does that just mean light's going to come down and fill the earth? No, you and I are the light. When his light shines through us, and we're not afraid to let our light shine, God's glory will be revealed on the earth. You know what? Darkness can't stand light. Darkness flees, doesn't it? So when you let your light shine, you don't have to worry about correcting other people's behavior. You don't have to put them in their place. You don't have to preach at them. That's just going to drive them further into darkness. But when you and I love them unconditionally and let them know that you are not behavior. You're not your behavior. Your behavior does not define you. The world does not define you. 
Jesus Christ, the Father in heaven, defines you. Become more aware of the Christ in you. Now, God's placed greatness within us. And I want, you, I want to challenge you. I don't care what age you are. If you're 9 or 90, it doesn't make any difference with God. We may think it does because the world tells us, you know, you're getting old. Not quite as useful. People really don't want to hear from you anymore. Young people don't want to hear from you. That's the enemy's lies that are sown into our minds. It's bull. If you're 90, I want to hear what wisdom you have. I don't want to hear about all the aches and pains and troubles that, I, that I'm probably headed toward, maybe. But I don't want to hear about the wisdom that God has gleaned from your life to help me prepare for my future. If you can take the nine-year-old in the 90 and connect them, and what would happen? All this wisdom. But we've got to be careful because when we get around kids, we want to boss them, tell them what to do because you know, we know better. No, they don't want to hear that. They want to know that, hey, do you care for me? Can I trust you? Can you help me? The three questions goes on every one of our minds when someone tries to impact our life. Do you care for me? Or are you just telling me what you think you know? Why are you trying to tell me what you know? Well, if, you, if, if you don't care for me, I don't really care for what you know. And if I don't care for what you know and you don't care for me, I know I can't trust you. You're just trying to control me. So think about it. Think about the people that God has placed in your life. They're not there by accident. That little child that runs by the hall and we might not ever speak to. Why? Why do we not? Look them in the eye. Let them know they're valuable. Smile at them. Yes. If it's okay with the parent, give them a piece of candy once in a while. Just make a connection. Yes. Then listen to the child and you have opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak to you with unconditional love toward that child. You made a God connection. A God connection. We need to make God connections, not me connections. It's kind of hard to separate me and I, isn't it? God is the I am. David Beavers is me. But I'm no longer David Beavers. I'm in Christ. No longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Still got that personality, and I still got some of those hang-ups. So when I raise my awareness, now... I can let God work on it. So I want to tell you about the seven levels of your awareness, and then we'll close. The first level is animalistic awareness. This is a dangerous place to be. We isolate ourselves. We end up in survival mode. We got people who live on the street, intelligent people, people with PhDs who get out of garbage dumpsters. Why is that? Well, they're smarter than that, aren't they? They're wounded. Some people have wounds so deep that all they can do is think about survive. I'm not going to let anybody else hurt me. So they go and they live that way. Now, we can operate that way. We can be a master in one level and an animal in another. Do I have my emotions in check? Can I control my emotions? Can God help me control my emotions? Maybe I'm financially operating as an animal. Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe I'm not taking care of my body the way God calls me to. I'm still operating in an animal level. The second level is mass or crowd awareness. A little better than animal, but not much. So when we operate at mass or crowd awareness, we kind of follow the crowd. Well, I think it's working for him, so I'm going to try that. 
And then it's working for him. I think I'm going to try that. And we follow the crowd around. If we're not careful, they'll go off the, the cliff and we will be right behind them. We can wreck our lives by following the crowd. But it's still a little better than animal. Now the third level is aspirational. You follow the crowd long enough, God starts to speak to you, puts desires and hopes in there, in your heart, and you say, well, one of these days, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. One of these days, I'm going to get a new job. One of these days, I'm going to go back to school. One of these days, I'm moving to such and such place. We aspire to do that. Those are desires that, that, that God's placed in our heart. So we aspire to do it. And guess what? Our friends that we hang around with in the crowd, they'll cheer you on. Yeah, go, go for it, buddy. Go for it. I think you'll do good at that. But because we're afraid to leave the safety of the herd, of the crowd, we keep aspiring. And pretty soon they get, get tired of listening to it. And then one of these days, if we do it long enough, we turn to, I'm gonna, to I shoulda. And we've wasted a whole big span of our life. So the fourth level is when you finally decide, yeah, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of people telling me what to do. My life being controlled by people. I'm going to do what I believe I was created to do. This is unique expression. This is when you decide to break free and be you. Be authentic and be real. Now, it's a tough spot because you know what? You always got this temptation to the safety of the crowd and you got this in front of you thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do it. This is where you have to rely on God. This is where you have to make some sacrifices, which takes you to level five, which is discipline. Nobody really likes discipline. Do we? Come on, do we really like discipline? But here at discipline level, you make some decisions. I'm going back to school if I got to sell one of my cars to get the money to go. I'm going to change my jobs even if I got to take training for six or nine months to do it. I'm going to change my life if I have to cut the TV off and study and learn something about what I want to be. This is a tough spot because the discipline scares us. We have things that come against us and we feel like a victim here. But you can't do that with a victim mentality. If you're always worried about how the world's going to react to you and how you're going to react to the world, you're going to get stuck and you're going to go back on those levels. So you've got to make up your mind. I hate to say it, but it's hell or high water, we're going. So when we change our mindset toward that and move forward, it's going to be tough. Things are going to change. But if we do that long enough, we'll start to see the change. We'll get over the hump and we'll start to see a break. People will be watching your life. You say you're a Christian. You say you're a Christ follower. You say you believe in abundant life and everything that Jesus has come to give us. Over here, they don't see it so much. They see just this person struggling. They're probably going to fail. Most people think he's going to fail or she's going to fail. But when you get over the hump and you put in the work and you put in the, the time and you're working hard and making those sacrifices, somebody's going to notice. God in heaven's going to notice first. And then he's going to put people in your life to say, hey, buddy, you know, you're working harder than you need to. Let me help you. They might provide you a car. They might provide you resources. They might change your schedule for you. We don't know because we don't know until we get there what we need. And that's where we're going to depend on God. And he does it through people. So when I get through that level and I stay with it long enough, I get to level six, which is experience. Now I've got some experience. I'm starting to learn this thing. 
I'm starting to take that knowledge that I've learned, getting understanding with it, now it's turning into wisdom. I get enough experience and understanding, now I move into level seven, which is mastery. God wants you to be the master, not the slave. But you've got to master your flesh. You've got to master your mind. You've got to master your emotions. Weak-minded people won't make it. Only strong-minded people will do it. So have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. So we've got to put our reputations away. We've got to put our egos away. And we've got to get busy doing what God called us to be. And that's becoming everything that God created you to be. It's never too late with God. We can look back in our life and say, it's too late for me. There's my timer. You might th think it's too late for me. It's never too late for God. God gives beauty for ashes. So whatever you messed up in the past, he's going to use it to, for his glory. I do, I do more, I, I do more, I have more effect when I can talk about my mess-ups and tell you how God brought me through it than when I tell you when I succeeded. I got some success in my life, but you know it's all, it's, it's irrelevant now, it's in the past. But I want to be successful in the future. I want to bring God glory. I want my life to represent him on the earth. I want people to look in my eyes and say, I think you've been with God. Won't you take me to him? What about you? You got awful quiet in here. If I give you something to think about today, if I added some value to you, we'll give God the glory for it. Give him thanks for it. So before we close, I want you to stand with me. We'll close. My challenge to you is, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in Christ? He's gifted you with some awesome gifts. He's given you passion and desires. That's the place to start. Who did he create you to be? Find out what that is. And that journey starts. You start looking for, who am I? Who did God create me to be? I got this gift, and I'm not too good at this, so I'm probably not that going to be with that. I'm going to follow my gifts and my strengths. I'm going to find out what passions God put in my life. And he gave you all these passions to serve with. He must turn that passion into fuel to change the life of somebody. So he gave you certain passions and desires. He's given you a certain burden for some people. That's part of the passion. When you start to use that to serve people with, your passion will ignite. It'll become full. And you'll know that you are the righteousness of God. You're right with God because you know who you are. You know who he is. Pursue righteousness. And when you do that, you'll start to see the peace of God come in your mind. Would everybody like to have a calm mind in Christ? James Allen said this, and I've quoted before. He says, the calmness of mind is one of the beautiful jewels of wisdom. It is a long and patient effort in self-control. It is also an indication of a more than ordinary knowledge of the laws of thought. So I'm going to challenge you. What are you going to think about after you leave here?
you hear a good message or I don't know if, it's, if you think it's good or not, but if you hear a message and you go out there and say, well, that was pretty good, are you going to put some rubber on the road? Are you going to start asking God, show me, show me who I am? I can't tell you who you are. And you can't tell who you are without God. That's why your foundation has to be on Christ. Ask him, he'll tell you. And when your awareness starts to grow, your life is going to expand and it's going to grow. He's going to grow with you because he's growing you. He is the seed. He is the seed of greatness in you. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. Lord, I, I, I really appreciate you letting us hear from CJ today, Lord, and his ministry. And we thank you, Lord, that we're co-laborers in the kingdom of God. And thank you for bringing him into our life that he's added value to us. Help us to add value to him and what he's trying to accomplish. Lord, I pray for every person in this room because every person in this room is called to a ministry. And this place, this house, was established by you through Pastor Farley to equip the people of God for the work of ministry. To help us grow in your sight to become all we were created to be, who everything that you called us to be. Let us change the world. Let, but first, Lord God, start by changing me. Change me, Lord God, that I might help the world change for your glory. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.